Well, hello and welcome to uh, Refuge Bible Fellowship, our midweek study here. We're going to continue our study through the book of Ezra. Uh, we are in chapter 9 this evening, and uh, I want to, uh, before we start, just make a, a quick announcement as far as uh, after service. So after service, we're going to um, just spend some time in fellowship um, <clears throat> in, as we normally do. And uh, then after about uh, about 15 minutes or so, um, you might see a, a group of people just uh, pull some chairs and make a circle here in the front. Um, I've brought my guitar, and uh, we all have Bibles here. And so we're just going to spend some time just worshiping and waiting on the Lord, and just to, just to give ourselves to however it is that he desires to minister to us, and that is through the body of Christ. Um, and so we're going to do that, and that's, uh, I just want to let you know, because you're going you're gonna to see just a, a, a group, of, group of people. It's open to everyone, so I, I encourage you to uh, come and just sit in, pray, share a word that God's given you, uh, worship together, and, uh, and see how the Lord works and moves in and through that. Well, like I said, this, uh, this evening we're continuing our, our study through the book of Ezra. We're in Ezra chapter 9, so please open up if you haven't already to Ezra chapter 9. Last week, as we saw in chapter 8, we saw a man, Ezra, a man who considered God at every turn. He acknowledged the Lord when he understood that he had God's favor. How it is that the Lord had brought him through, or even before he went on the journey, the four-month journey to Jerusalem, he prayed and sought God's favor. And then when he got to Jerusalem, he acknowledged the Lord and praised him for getting him, him there safely. He was a man that was fully devoted to God, a man who was consecrated unto the Lord, separated from the world and given to God and his will. And by the way, may I mention that he was living within a world that hated God, as it does today. This evening, as we consider what we've learned about Ezra, we will see how he responds to the news that the Israelites have not separated themselves from the world. And uh, it's a wonderful study, but at the same time, it takes a sad turn, but it teaches us what to avoid and what to separate ourselves from and unto. So let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time of, uh, of studying your word. I ask that you would give us understanding. Oh, Lord, make things clear. May we consider your faithfulness, your kindness, your mercy, your long-suffering, and your steadfast love. That, Lord, by it we may be compelled to draw near to you, Lord, also to lead a life that, that blesses you, that honors you. Simply a response to the love that we have first come to know. By the grace that you have poured out upon us 
through your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, be with us this evening. We ask that you would teach us all these things. And, Lord, that you would minister to us in a specific and special ways as only you can. For you know us and you know the way in which we need to grow. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ezra chapter 9, verse 1, says, After these things had been done, the officials approached me and said, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with their abominations, from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, So that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the lands. And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and chief men has been foremost. We're going to stop there. Now, as we we see here and we learn from last week, now we approach post the journey from Babylon to Jerusalem. After a... Long four-month journey from Babylon to Jerusalem. Them getting there safely, having successfully delivered all of the gifts brought from Babylon. The leading men, that is the officials of Israel. They gathered together and they approached Ezra. These men were not simply men of influence, but rather... The Israelites, the the men who were officially leading or given the official capacity and authority to watch over the Israelites, to lead, to guide, to govern according to God's word, they had the standard. It was the very word of God. And it was because of that and what they were seeing happen amongst the people that they had no other alternative than to bring this to Ezra's attention. The responsibility assigned within God's people as such is not to be taken lightly. You see, it is a stewardship of a work entrusted by God to an individual to perform and complete in the manner the master, that is the Lord, desires for a purpose beyond the the individual. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work hardly as for the Lord and not for men. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So having this in mind, a leader within God's people is to be mindful of God and the people. And address issues that are not in alignment with the word of God and his will. In order to restore the faithful, pure, and whole worship of God's people unto the Lord. Considering not self. Not holding the culture or the ways of the church over. Making sure that the worship is pure. That it is according to the word of God. These men were faithful men. 
Remember, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of the enemy. So a good friend is willing to come alongside and tell you the things that perhaps you don't want to hear, but you need to hear. And so these men approached Ezra and told him what the people were doing that revealed their faithlessness, an indifference toward the word of God. Therefore, the bottom line, demonstrating an indifference toward God himself. Remember that the whole purpose for God returning his people to Jerusalem from exile was to restore the worship of God. Not as they determined, not as they willed, but as he had instructed according to his word. Their problem was that they were doing things their own way prior to being sent into exile into Babylon. They were practicing idolatry. You see, the spiritual condition of the people was rotten. It was chaotic, confusing, and contradictory to the pure worship of their God. They had, as we read in verse 1, they had failed to separate themselves from the peoples of the lands with their abominations. You know, some people today, or at least a lot of people today, I think this is the reflection of the heart of a people who have strayed or moved away from the ways of the Lord, would say, what's the big deal? Isn't it good that the peoples from other nations are now a part of the family of God? They're hearing the word, they're seeing everyone else. No, compromise is never good. It's never good. It'll it'll undermine the very work that God desires to perform within his people. There's compromise. Instead of marrying people who had already converted to Judaism, uh, these men were marrying women who were still practicing what are considered to be abominations to the Lord. Instead of influencing the spouse toward Christ, the unbeliever will be an influence on the spouse, pulling them away from the Lord and against Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 14, it says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Missionary dating? Ever heard of that? To the Israelites, God had warned them. It's very clear. I, I know that we can, 
we say things like that, we, we make up terms like that, and we, we kind of chuckle a little bit, don't we? But in the eyes of the Lord, it's, it's no laughing matter. It's actually compromise. It's an indifference toward the Lord. The Lord had warned the Israelites. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 and 4 says, You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. You can also note Exodus 34, verses 11 through 16. In fact, to the one who didn't heed this word, a man by the name of Solomon, in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4, it says, For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his, away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. This was the very thing that God had warned his people of. And yet, it is shown in Solomon that his heart was turned away by the wives that he had. Away from the Lord and toward seeking after other gods. What happens is that the unbelieving spouse introduces and practices those things of the world. Quite simply, influencing and turning the heart of the believing spouse away from the Lord. Why? Because that person actually becomes your God. I know we can say, no, I love the Lord. That person is not my God. He or she is not my idol. But when you put that person above God and you, you choose to compromise God's word, your, your actions are betraying your words. And that is what we are warned of. I know that there's a, um, there's a video that is at this very moment going viral on social media and it's being shown on news outlets probably as we speak right now. But Tony Perkins said that um, this was a, um, something political. I will respectfully disagree. It is not political. It is spiritual in every sense. We have a spiritual battle happening within our country itself and throughout the whole world. You see, there's this Lutheran church back in Minnesota that decided to recite the Sparkle Creed. And I'm going to, we're going to show a clip here in just, just a minute, but I'm going to give you just a, a little insight here. And this, this again reflects the heart, and, and here it is, it reflects the heart of our nation. This is why it's important for us to be faithful to the Lord, to be students of his word, and also to spread the gospel and to do the work of an evangelist because there, there are many lost people who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ.
the Sparkle Creed is about the non-binary God and Jesus with two dads, quote-unquote. Actually, during a Sunday service, and it's on their live stream, it's on YouTube, but we're going to play the video. Stop playing. You can find it everywhere. I, I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one white light and refracts it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I believe in the church of everyday saints as numerous, creative, and resilient as patches on the ace quilt, whose feet are grounded in mud and whose eyes gaze at the stars in wonder. I believe in the calling to each of us that love is love is love. So, beloved, let us love. I believe, glorious God, help my unbelief. Amen. Nope, not amen. So, that's just that. But, I mean, there's a lot that's led up to that creed and then she called on them and she is considered to be a pastor there contrary to scripture and then she had them stand up and then had them all recite whether they did it physically or as she said in spirit and um, and she had them do that uh, again th- this what we're seeing not just with this but with so many other things happening within the church Let me tell you, it's no different than what the Israelites were doing when they set the high places uh, with idols and temples and they were worshiping all kinds of different gods. God had warned them and he told them, if you do this, you will come to a point to where my judgment will come down on you. He warned them, as he does us, God's people, same thing. A couple other photos here. I don't know if we have them. So this one is, um, that's why it's a spiritual battle over our children. It says, not today, Jesus, and it has some wicked thing there on his shirt. The other one, uh, this is uh, Pride Seattle. Attendees surround a street preacher and bark like rabid dogs as music blares in the background to drown him out. This man, hmm was simply reading the word, spreading the gospel. And they were yelling over him with a uh, megaphone. And this man just kept going, kept reading. So don't tell me it's a political thing. It has nothing to do with politics. It has everything to do with 
a spiritual battle. Now, our nation overall reflects it. So there is a battle. Make sure that your eyes are open. Make sure that you're not in compromise, willfully and knowingly. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Again, God's people are thoroughly warned. But Christians compromise when they get anxious about marriage and are duped into believing that unless they compromise, they will never get married. And they feel like they have to get married now. Someone pays them a compliment and all of a sudden, hey, that's the one. (laughs) We have another video for you. It's a good one here. Would be open to dating a non-Christian? Um, no, no, I wouldn't. Just because I think, you know, the Christian values, it's, it's really, you know, it's a lifestyle. When we say Christian, it means to be Christ-like. So it's very difficult to live in this world and, and pursue Christ-likeness and not be on, on board with that. And I think, ideally, going on with a little spiel here, but, you know, God's... Spiel, de- baby, spiel. God's design for marriage is what I believe personally is the representation of Jesus Christ's relationship with the church. So ultimately, if I'm a man, I'm supposed to embody Christ. My wife is supposed to embody the church. And my role as, as a man is, you know, the same amount of devotion that Christ has for the church, sacrifice, sacrificial love. It just, it wouldn't work out in a long-term relationship with with my spouse if we weren't on the same page with that. Do you happen to be a preacher? No, I'm not a preacher, but I'm very passionate about my faith. I'm not in a relationship. I'm in a relationship with Christ. I want to be in a relationship with a woman that her life goal is to pursue Christ, my life goal is to pursue Christ, and then we just join that path together. I'm going to hand you this mic, and you're going to finish doing the interviews in this video. <laughs> Honestly, man, this, you, you articulated uh, your answer so well, and it is inspiring to me. A lot of failed relationships, and I'm just, I think I finally figured it out, but hopefully some other woman figures it out with me. Do you consider yourself a Christian? Consider yourself a Christian? I love that. I came across that, and I thought, wow. You nailed it, didn't he? Yeah, okay. that's worth <laughs> This is um, this should be the heart <clears throat> of every person that truly loves the Lord more than anything and anyone. Willfully, knowingly, ignoring, and doing the opposite of God's word is actually an abomination. It's a disgrace. Even an obscenity, and it is evil, contemptuous. Their willful disregard for God's word, as we just read there in the first couple of verses, would prove to affect every, every area of their lives, in their families, society, and of course as a nation. Who is leading this abomination is something to consider as we read in the second verse. And as the leaders themselves told Ezra it was the leaders of the community of God's people. They were influencing the people who were supposed to be separated unto the Lord, holy unto him, but instead leading them down a path of destruction in opposition to God's word. So 
We're going to see here how it is that Ezra responds to this news. In verse 3, it says, As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. That was Ezra's response. Personally, he was just beside himself. He was in shock. He was dismayed, distressed. He tore his garments. He pulled out his own hair, his own beard, and just sat there in disbelief for hours. Most people would say that Ezra was a bit dramatic, a bit extra in his response to the news. Many would be thinking that Ezra was expecting something from the people that was unreasonable. But how should a person respond to a people who proclaim, who declare to love God? How should a person respond to that? Take it lightly, with tolerance. Allowing them to just continue? How should one respond? Romans 12.9 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor, that's a strong word, but abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Perhaps Ezra was thinking that those Israelites that had returned, he was thinking maybe they desired to lead lives that were completely devoted to God and His statutes, His word, His law. Desiring the things that would honor him. But instead, at the news of these leaders, he was shocked. He was shocked to find out that they did not. See, Ezra's response was bringing attention to the idolatry that Israel was still practicing. Even though they knew very well that this was the reason why they were exiled into Babylon to begin with. So his question in his own heart, as he sat there appalled, beside himself, shocked, is how could they do this again? Proverbs 26, 11 describes them well, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. In James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, it says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, be no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts he will be blessed in his doing. No, Ezra, Ezra rightly was stupefied. He was shocked. He couldn't believe that they were compromising in the same way as they had before. And unfortunately, this will not be the last time this issue has to be confronted. F.B. Meyer said, quote, It has been truly said that communion with the Lord dries many tears, but it starts many more, close quote. 
Well, this is how Ezra responded, but then there were others who joined Ezra in this response. In verse 4, it says, And all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel, because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles, gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. For the same reason Ezra was appalled, others joined them and were equally appalled. Winston Churchill rightly said, quote, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Now referring to Israel's past sins, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 1 writes this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us. That we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happen to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. The very same thing that God had consistently told his people from the very beginning. So as we read and learn about Israel's past sins, we become fully aware of what we could return to. Take heed lest you too fall. We are to instead choose, as we learn from these examples, and desire to not do the evil as they did. And so Ezra was thinking this way. But unfortunately, many others were not thinking that way. So with this, Ezra, fasting at this time, stood with torn clothes. But then he quickly fell to his knees, spread out his hands to the heavens, and to the Lord, and prayed. Verse 5. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn, and fell upon my knees, and spread out my hands to the Lord my God, saying... O oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God. For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. Ezra was mourning for hours, sitting there, absolutely appalled. But it turned into prayer. He knelt before God in the midst of the people. And when he did this, his personal prayer turned into a corporate prayer. For all who heard, 
It was all open for anyone to come alongside and agree with him saying amen to what he was praying. This posture that Ezra held while praying is one of a subject in humble submission to his master and begging for the master to bestow upon him and the nation itself his mercy. Psalm 51.17 says, The sacrifices of God, God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. You see, this was the beginning of Ezra's confession of the sin that Ezra included himself in. He himself was not participating in the sin, and yet he regarded the sin to be his own as well, as his people were guilty of this And so he was ashamed, embarrassed, guilty of actions, contrite. Conscience was, his conscience was stricken. To blush is an outward expression of a shame, of of a, a, a personal shame. I know for us, we see a, a red face. Sometimes people blush when they're overwhelmed with shame. Or embarrassment. And this is what his, his expression was telling as he was ashamed and he hung his head down. He could not look upward as his hands were held upward. He was in such shame because of our iniquities, as he said, because of our guilt. It was all too much. Before a holy and righteous God. The reason why Ezra included himself in this sin is because they together, God's people, were in a covenant with God. The sin of one affects the whole. The sin of a husband affects the sins of the marriage. In 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. And underline this, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So that means that your prayers can be hindered if you're not in the right place with your wife. You can pray all you want, but if you're in willful disobedience toward the Lord, then you have to get that right. Because your prayers may be hindered. Remember, a little leaven leavens the whole lump, as it says in Galatians 5.9. We can consider the sin of Achan in Joshua chapter 7, how it is that it affected his whole family. It affected the nation of Israel. In his prayer, Ezra acknowledges God's grace and mercy in spite of Israel's sins. So he knows the character of God. Verse 7, as we continue, says, And this is his prayer from the days of our fathers. To this day we have been in great guilt, and for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been given into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame, as it is today. But now for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God, to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within his holy place, that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. For we are slaves, 
Yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery, but has extended to us his steadfast love before the kings of Persia to grant us some reviving to set up the house of our God, to repair its ruins, and to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem. And so Ezra confesses Israel's present sins. How it is that they have extended from times past to the present And yet, even while experiencing the consequences of their sin, God has been kind toward them. He's been gracious toward them. And has allowed them to come back to Judea, and specifically into Jerusalem, to rebuild the house of the Lord and restore the worship of God. What a great God. And he's acknowledging this. At the same time that Ezra was acknowledging God's grace, he was also afraid that God's judgment would return as the people had disregarded him and provoked, perhaps was in the process of provoking him to anger and to judgment with their idolatry as they did before. Ezra was acknowledging God's goodness as well as his long-suffering with his people. I always praise God for his long-suffering If we got what we deserved in the moment that we deserved it, we would be in in trouble all the time. But see, that long-suffering of God, His um, steadfast love, should actually make us love Him even that much more. Considering His grace, His love, This is what Ezra was acknowledging, God's goodness, his long-suffering for his people. Micah 7.18 says, Who is a a God like you, pardoning the iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Ezra was expressing gratitude for even the small measure of revival that had taken place amongst God's people. Stephen, the small portion that had returned to Jerusalem, he was thanking God for that. Oh, Lord, you have revived our hearts. You've done something wonderful. In spite of the sin that we continue to walk in. He was being thankful of God's mercy and his favor, despite the compromise that they were showing. Again, as we consider this, these, these are chapters that come after just a, a wonderful one to where we saw the faithfulness of Ezra and considering how it is that God provided and protected Ezra and the Israelites as they came from Babylon to Jerusalem. This chapter now shows compromise and, and these are the chapters that we ought to heed, we ought to take to heart so that we may not fall into the same compromise with full knowledge. Because of our pride. Because we insist on doing things our own way, contrary to the Lord's way. May we acknowledge God's grace, being thankful in the smallest of revivals. Being thankful of God's favor, his protection, his provision, his mercy. 
May it all move us to repent of our sins and throw ourselves at his mercy, desiring his forgiveness and his steadfast love. So Ezra continues further confessing Israel's sins and at this time throwing himself at the mercy of God. Verse 10. And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servants, the prophets, saying, The land that you are entering to take possession of it is a land impure with the impurity of the peoples of the lands, with their abominations that have filled it from end to end with their uncleanness. Therefore do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take their daughters for your sons, and never seek their peace or prosperity, that you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. And after all that, all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, seeing that you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserved and have given us such a remnant as this, shall we break your commandments again and intermarry with the peoples who practice these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you consumed us so that there should be no remnant nor any to escape? O Lord, the God of Israel, you are just, for we are left a remnant that has escaped. As it is today, behold, we are before you in our guilt, for none can stand before you because of this. Something we ought to all learn to do. The moment you feel compelled to defend yourself when you are indefensible, you should do the very same thing. Ezra just did before, the Lord who knows everything. He said, we have no excuses. We have nothing to plead our case with. We are guilty. Ezra confessed their guilt. There was no defense whatsoever. Ezra admitted their disobedience. In fact, Ezra acknowledged that God had punished them, in fact, less than what their iniquities deserved. He said, we have forsaken your commandments. As the people piled up sin upon sin upon sin upon sin, and this is what he was referring to, and he was describing the people from times past and up to this point because of their compromise, because of their insistence in doing things their own way. They just kept piling sin upon sin upon sin upon sin. And yet God had still shown mercy, even though they deserved absolute judgment. How gracious God is. How long-suffering. His steadfast love is Beyond comprehension. God's steadfast love is known in his long suffering and in his desire to show mercy. But rest assured that there is a moment when it expires. A people are given over to what they want, 
what they insist on. And judgment is applied by a just God. And Ezra acknowledged that God is just. And they stand before a just God, guilty of sinning against him. So he stood humble, broken, contrite, ashamed. With head hung low, so blushed that he couldn't lift his face to the Lord. Is this the proper posture that he should have had, that he should have assumed in this moment? The answer is absolutely. There are times, again, that we need to learn that this, this is exactly what we need to do before, before a holy and righteous God. Did he go overboard in his response to the news that he had heard? This is all in response to what we read in the first two verses of this chapter. The leaders brought this news to him, and, and the rest of it is a, a description of, of his response. Is it fitting? Is it proper? Absolutely. This is how we ought to be with our sin. This is how we ought to respond when we learn of something that is not in alignment with God's word within the camp. When there's sin within the camp, we ought to quickly put that out, address it. Is it the job of the pastor or the leaders of the church? No, it's your job. It's everyone's job. When you know the word and you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, in James it says, to you it is sin. So don't partic participate in that sin by continuing the conversation that shouldn't be continuing. Don't tolerate action that is unbecoming of a Christian. Address it. Because a good friend will apply Matthew 18 if you're offended you go to that person off to the side privately and address them. Why? Because perhaps you'll, you'll come to an agreement and you'll win that person. And they'll be a close friend forever. It's, it's the, the responsibility of the church as a whole. We have to learn to do that. And we have to learn how to be humble and handle sin and Respond to it in the way that Ezra did. David, when he, when he was uh, confronted by Nathan, he showed the very same heart. The moment he realized that he had sinned against the Lord, he confessed that. And then he pleaded with God. He pleaded with him. Oh Lord, be merciful. Just as King David confessed of his sin before Nathan when confronted, so should we do the same when we become aware that we have sinned against God. There should be an outward expression of an inward reality, a broken. There should be an expression of, of shame. A heart that is in this state will not allow the face to rise up in pride or pretentious acquittal by a righteous and holy God immediately upon the recital of a verse or a few words that are spoken in demand of God's grace. We do that. May we, may we actually walk it out. 
There should be a change of heart. Our continuous posture should be that of continuous brokenness and humility before God. A genuine repentance that defaces the pride you once were clothed with and instead are clothed with a vulnerable and submitted will to the word of God, even at one's own expense and yet God's pleasure. Psalm 51.17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And one last thing, last verse, Matthew 5.3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that we see such an example of humility, but of a reverence toward you, in a man like Ezra. May we uh, respond to um, compromises and to sin in the same way. Lord, that we would truly confess these things, Lord, and demonstrating a heart that is completely broken. And willing to repent and continue that meekness and being humble in spirit toward you and toward others. And so, Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time. We praise you. We love you. Thank you for your long suffering. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that, Lord, you, you prefer to show mercy. How wonderful you are when we absolutely deserve judgment, you extend your hand of grace. Lord, may it move us to repent of our sins, Lord, and walk uprightly before.